0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 143 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 7th of February 2016, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 20. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word recorded in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, "The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat." The Lord God said unto the woman, "What is this that thou hast done?" The woman said, "The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat." And the Lord God said unto the serpent, "Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field; Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil, and know and now, lest ye put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Father, thank you for your word. We do pray now, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive for that which you alone have for us. Speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be receptive and responsive to that which you have for us, all for your glory and your honor in Christ's name. Amen and amen. For those that have been here the last couple of weeks, I'm trying to do the impossible for all kinds of reasons. Part of it is because some of you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, so uh, what I've been trying to do and trying to come to the end of our series on the Genesis account, which today makes 20 sermons in that series, But because we had been away from it for a while, instead of doing all the reviewing at the end, we've tried to go back and refresh our minds of the important things that we have seen in the book of Genesis as we bring it up. I mean, there's so much in God's word. Do you believe? I honestly think that if I didn't have any other book in the Bible except the book of Genesis, I could preach until the day I die and not run out of anything to preach on, and you can say that about almost any book in the Bible. God's word is inexhaustible. There's so much for us. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to put this in the context of our series on contending for the faith. The faith that was once for all delivered unto us. And that within that faith that we're to contend for, there are fundamental things, foundational truths that cannot be changed that all of our Christian faith rests upon. And we've done in the last two weeks, we've done what took us probably three or four months to preach the first six of the the sermons that were found in that series. And We've looked at the past two Sundays at, first of all, that the Genesis account is vital, foundational, fundamental for a clear understanding, first of all, of the authority of God's Word. What God says, nothing can change it. It is. Whether we like it or whether we don't, whether we accept it or whether we don't, God speaks and that's it. We've also looked at the assertion of God's existence. In the beginning, God. The Bible asserts absolutely certainty, and that's where we have to begin. We need not go anywhere else. If we don't believe that God's there and that this is his word that he's left for us, we look at the absoluteness of God's creation. Nobody else, nothing else. He did it totally, completely, from nothing, with no outside help. God said it, and it was, just as the book of Genesis records it. Last Sunday then, we looked at the advancement of the human race. Man gets all kind of wild ideas about the best way for the human race to move forward, but God gives us the foundation. We looked at the accountability of mankind. Just the simple fact that we are accountable to God. How can we ever seek forgiveness for God? How can we ever recognize that we felt God if, as most of the world is today, they have no accountability? People don't like accountability to anybody, let alone God. And we looked at the administration of home life. God created the first man, the first woman from nothing. God is the one that set up how that human race would advance. He's the one that showed us how that the family, the home was to be administered. And that's what we need to follow. That's God's way. There is no other way. Today, we're trying to redefine marriage. We're trying to redefine, you know, what what a couple is and what a family is and what a home is. And all of it is because they've gone away from the foundation that was given to us. Man can try to go anywhere he wants to. But I'm saying to you, it is the Christian faith that we are to contend for and the fundamentals in God's word that tells us exactly where we are there. Now, we want to move on today. And I'll move as fast as I can. And remember, you know, there's so many sermons in this series. If you want to hear all of these explained, go back and listen to the full thing or ask me and I'll give you the notes on it. But I'm trying to pick out the high points to refresh you, to remind you of what it is that we have seen here. Today we want to move on, and in Genesis chapter 3, we want to look at the acuteness of man's fall. The acuteness of man's fall. Now, last week as we finished up at Genesis chapter 2, we skipped those first 15 vertices of Genesis chapter 3 and looking at the home, and we want to go back to that today. You see, one of the very first hurdles faced in personally becoming a Christian And then even after we become a Christian, when witnessing to other people concerning salvation, one of the first hurdles is a recognition for the need of salvation, a need to be saved. Nobody is going to reach for something if they see absolutely no need for it. There's simply no reason for a person to seek forgiveness or to seek salvation unless they see that they need to be saved. Now, we've already stated clearly that if we don't truly believe in the Word of God, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word. If we don't truly believe in this book and its absolute authority, that it's God's Word, it doesn't really matter what I teach you from it or what I say about it if we don't believe it in the first place. If we don't really believe, and accept that God is there now. He is a person. He is there. He holds the power of the universe in his hands. If we don't believe in his absoluteness in creating everything that exists, including mankind, including us, then we'll not see that accountability that we've already talked about We'll never be able to fully grasp sinning against him. We'll never understand what we're talking about when we talk about the fall, falling from our original state. God created us in his own image. He created us in perfection. He created us in holiness. He created us in perfect harmony. We find that we can never understand what we mean by the acuteness, or if you would, the severity, the depth of man's fall when he fell from the state that God created us in. You see, chapter two closed with man and woman being joined together as one in that final act of creation. They were together as one, in total innocence in the garden. Understand this, they didn't know what sin, sin, didn't even exist. There was no such thing as sin until we see in Genesis 3, chapter 1, there was someone else. There was Adam at this point, Adam and Eve, the only two people on the earth. Except when God came and walked with them, here we find the entrance of another. Now, the serpent, the serpent. We find that this was a real serpent, a real serpent that we don't really fully understand what he was like in his first creation. The Bible doesn't give us that, but this was a serpent that became used, or if you would, possessed by Satan himself. We don't have a description of his pre-fall appearance, but we do know that he was cursed because of his involvement in the fall and as a result would spend the rest of his days crawling upon the earth, eating the dust of the earth. We see him, the only serpent that we've ever seen is the serpent in his fallen state. Only Adam and Eve ever saw him when he entered this world before that fallen estate in his original state. Now we should have absolutely no doubt that it is Satan himself working through that serpent. We established way, way back in our series who Satan is. We did an entire series on the truth about Satan. We talk about his person and his position and his purpose and his power and his providence and our protection against him. This is that real Satan that we talked about, but he's taken possession of one of God's creations, the serpent. The serpent entering the scene here in the garden is none other than the Satan that we read about in scripture. God identifies him in other passages he calls him that old that old serpent, other portions of scripture that we that we looked at all through the Bible and Corinthians and Revelations, and we won't go back to all that. We know that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we see the entrance of Satan into the garden in that old serpent. This is the first place that we see the serpent. It's the first place that we see Satan. Now, when and where did he come from? Well, we looked at a lot of things there, but we did establish from Scripture that he was a cherub, that he was an angelic being, that he was one of the heavenly host that fell and was cast out of heaven when he revolted against God because of, as Brother Steve looked at in the Bible study this morning, because of his pride. He was a created being. He was part of the heavenly host, but pride within himself caused him to revolt against God. When did that happen? Well, you can find all kinds of theological answers out there, but it seems that the most likely answer, if you take everything in God's word literally and keep it consistent with each other, That Satan fell somewhere between Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God had created everything and everything was perfect and everything was good, somewhere between the close of the day there and Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where he appears on the scene in the garden. You see, there's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know how much time that Adam and Eve spent in the garden in their perfect state before Genesis 3, chapter 1, when Satan is met for the first time. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and it doesn't really matter. What we do know is what took place there. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. More subtle. Subtle is something that can be good or bad, positive or negative. Sometimes we need to be subtle about things. But it's used here in a very negative sense that he was more cunning, that he was more crafty, that he was more deceitful than any other creature that God had made. Satan, a fallen angel, a supernatural spirit, takes possession of the serpent's body. He took possession of him when he was still in his pre-fallen state and he came and met man and woman and he met them with his subtlety, with his cunningness, with his deceitfulness right there in the garden of Eden, the entrance of Satan on the scene. Then we look next, not only at the entrance of Satan, but the enticement of Satan. Of the woman. Satan came on the scene. And what happens now? The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And what's the next thing he said unto the woman. Why did God approach? I mean, why did Satan approach the woman? Why didn't he just go directly to Adam and, and, and tempt Adam in the first place? And instead of doing it through the woman, well, God doesn't specifically tell us why, so we ought to be very careful in stating things that we don't know for sure. I gave you a few possibilities of why it could have been, but the truth is, is that whatever the reason was, it's definitely tied to his subtlety, to his craftiness, to his deceitfulness that he's coming to her with. He said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. A couple of things here. Notice Satan first, he doesn't come in there demanding anything or stating anything. He comes asking a question, asking you. Doesn't it make you feel more important when somebody comes up instead of telling you something that you don't know, they come up asking your opinion about something that you do know. Satan, that's part of his subtleness. He came to the woman. We said a lot of things about this, but remember, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Is that what God had said? You shall not eat of every tree. God had said, you shall not eat. What was another word that he used? Freely. So Satan did change it a bit. <laughs> There's a big difference. But yay. Has God said this? And you know, when you ask a people a question, a question could be asked in a lot of ways and you can speak the same words, but just with the slightly different inflections it can be a very cunning, deceptive statement. It's like where I come from. You know, if somebody came up to you and, and they genuinely looked at you and said, bless your heart, you know, you, know, you think they're, they're saying something really nice to you. They're, they're wanting God's blessings on you. Well, there's a saying in the South where I come from in the United States, you know, when somebody does something really, really, really stupid, <laughs> Or they do something that is just, man, how could anybody ever do that? Well, instead of coming out and saying something really nasty, well, bless your heart. <laughs> you just, you just, you put that inflection a little bit different, and believe me, you know the difference uh, whether it's meant as a good thing or a bad thing. Exact same words. Remember, the Bible just told us that. Satan is more subtle, more crafty, more sneaky, more deceptive than anything else there. And he comes to this woman, he asks her a question, which is a smart way to start off, to start building her pride up, you know, just like his own. And he asks it just a little bit different. He changes it. And I want you to understand. We see a few things as we look through here. Every word God speaks is important. Every word matters matters. And the way that it's spoken matters. When we begin, remember, even when Satan went to Jesus Christ and began to tempt Satan, what did Jesus come back to him with? It is written. God said, it is written. Specifically, if you're going to start quoting God, you need to be careful that you quote him accurately. Don't change it. Don't start leaving words out here and there. Why are we so insistent upon the Word of God and the preserved Word of God? Why do we still use? Though many have left the old King James Bible because we believe that it's the most accurate translation of what God really said. God has preserved His Word for us there in His language. Every word matters. We can't just start changing it because it sounds better or because it suits us more. We find that says, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, we go back and look in the scriptures, we don't know exactly where in there, but did God say you shall not touch it? We don't find that recorded in what God said to Adam. It's not there. Now, Whether it was the woman that was changing it here when she was talking to Satan or where Adam had got it messed up when he was telling the woman what God had said, we don't know. What we do know is that God's word was changed again. You shall not eat it. You shall not touch it. That's not what God had said. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. God said, if we do this, we do this, we're going to die. That's not what's going to happen. Satan, his subtleness, his craftiness, so many times today. And I could make a list for you. I could make a list for all the things that God warned you that you ought to stay away from, that you ought not to do, the, all these things that bring danger, all those things that are called sin. But the devil's going to come along and he says, oh, that's not really bad. That won't hurt you. That's not going to hurt you in any way whatsoever. That's okay. The serpent said, ye shall not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Don't you know? God just don't want you to have fun. God don't want you to enjoy that. God doesn't want these things. The devil will try to convince you in his subtleties that it won't hurt you and that you're going to be better off, that you're going to know more, that you're going to enjoy more if you just do what he's telling you to do. Don't you know? The first words that he ever spoke, remember? He first asked her a question, (laughs) but then the first statement that he makes to her is just an absolute bold-faced lie. That's ah, what God said. That's not really what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen if you do it. Just out and out lies to it. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. What beginning? The beginning that we're reading about right here in the book of Genesis. That's the beginning. You see, it was right there in the garden that he came. He was the father of lies. He told the very first lie that had ever been told on this earth. He told it to that woman, the very first statement that ever came out of his mouth that was spoken was a lie. Spoken to man anyway. (laughs) And you know what? The man believed it he died. That's when Satan became a murderer. That's when he murdered the first human right there in the garden of Eden. Why? Through all this deceptive lie, he goes to Eve in the garden. The very first statement ever makes to mankind, he leads him down this path to certain death, both physically and spiritually, by the way promising him something good that in the end is going to destroy him. <laughs> and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that we can look at. You see, it wasn't. The problem wasn't in that tree that it didn't look good, that it didn't taste good. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was something to be desired, to, to make one wise. This is, this is the way that she's seeing it. Do we realize that so many times when we look upon things, it can be the deadliest thing that we've ever looked upon in our lives, and yet it can look beautiful. It can look desirable. It can look like something that we really, really want with all of our hearts. That's what she saw satan's lie was totally contrary to everything that God had said. But you know what? It's interesting too. <laughs> Eve was not rebelling against God. At this point she wasn't even disobeying God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 says, "But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety as the serpent beguiled, as the serpent deceived Eve through his craftiness, through his deceitfulness. You see, Eve was deceived. Eve didn't think what she was doing was wrong. (laughs) Eve didn't see it as disobeying God. She had it all mixed up in her head because Satan had got her thinking the wrong way. Now, that wasn't the same with the man. He goes on in verse 6, And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Eve was utterly deceived into thinking what she was doing was right. The man made a choice to disobey God. He knew what God had said, and yet he chose to sin anyway. We find that the Bible makes it very clear that one was just as guilty as the other. You see, we see the entrance of Satan, the enticement of the woman being deceived, but the error of man. Adam made the worst error possible that he could ever make as a man. He purposely chose to sin against God. He purposely chose to disobey God. He knew what God had said, and yet he made a choice that day. It doesn't matter what God said. This is what I'm going to do. That's the rebellion of so many in the human mind. It doesn't matter what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You find that Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. What he did in the garden, he does to the whole world. You see, God's prohibition, the only one that he gave man, it was one that came with a distinct consequent. If it was disobeyed, it did not differentiate in any way as to why that was taking place. Genesis 2, 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What does the New Testament say? For the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. There is no ifs, and buts. There's no consequences. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if you've been deceived into thinking that it's right when it's wrong or whether you purposely choose. When you go against God, it is sin. Full stop. They were both guilty. One was totally deceived and didn't even realize that what she was doing was wrong. The other one purposely chose, I'm going to go against what God said. Both fail. The entrance of Satan, the enticement of the woman, the error of man brought about this fourth one that we see the estrangement with God. To be estranged is to be divided, to be. Separated, to be alienated, to be divorced, to be out of unity with something. It's often used many times when maybe husbands and wives go their separate ways and it's the estranged husband or the estranged wife. There's no more unity. They're separated. They're divided. One of the devil's greatest tools, one of his most useful tools, is simply to bring about division or disunity. Division with God through sin. But also division with each other. in The family, in the home, in the church. Between churches, between Christians. And he gets this same thing. What was their problem in the garden? It was what I want, not what God wants. Given that many times that's what divides us, even right here this morning? Because I don't like something. The others do. Satan uses his subtleness to divide, to separate, to bring about disunity. Divisions between us are bad. They hinder God's work. And they probably, sadly, send people to hell. Because we lack effectiveness because we are not united together. But the greatest division of all is to be... Estranged from God himself. You can't have it both ways. You can't have true fellowship with God and have sin. You can't. Sin divides us. Sin separates us. You see, there in the garden, the entrance of Satan into the garden, the enticement of the woman, the error of the man, brought about an estrangement a separation with God because sin separated God's creation from the creator. You see, when they were before the fall, when they were in the garden, when they were united together in their innocence, they would have been far stronger unified than divided. Satan was clever of course through man's sin when he then went and first of all he had the woman look look at what happened man woman husband wife united together as one i mean as one totally completely no separation total unity satan comes in he deceives the woman before the man ever ever chose to fail before that ever happened, do you know what? The end of chapter 2, when man and woman were joined together as one, it was no longer. Because before Adam chose to sin, he was still united with God. But first of all, the woman and the man were separated from each other. You can't be united with God and united with sin. United with God, united with the world. We, we want so many times to do things we convince ourselves That was the first division that Satan brought about. He separated the man and the woman. And then when they were separated, uh, we don't know all the things that went on. But then it was the man that brought it down. So many times, folks, we might have the best intentions that we're going to join with this person and we're going to get them right. But so many times it goes the other way. We find that... That was what exactly, precisely that God was doing here. He brought disunity, he brought estrangement, first of all, between the man and the woman and then between them and God. There was no more unity. They were going their own ways. Next verse is seven, eight. and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Their relationship with God was changed forever. There was now an estrangement, a rift, a separation, whatever you want to call it. And what was a once perfect United relationship. That perfect communion with God had been destroyed. Now they were actually hiding from his presence. They had been in perfect harmony and united with him, and now they're trying to hide from him so that he can't see them. They recognized themselves. They saw themselves. You see, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, (laughs) Where art thou? God didn't ask Adam because he didn't know where he was. Believe me, God knew exactly where Adam was. He was asking the question because Adam wasn't willing to answer himself where he was. He was asking so that Adam himself could admit to himself and to God where he was and why he was there. That's the hardest place that most of us have to stop, whether as Christians or whether as unbelievers, is realizing where we are, that we're separated from God, that we don't have the relationship that maybe we've never had or maybe we once time had. It's not the same. Why? Because the devil, in his subtleness, has gotten in there somewhere and he's brought about this estrangement, this this disunity. Adam, where are you, Adam? Verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I myself. Do you know that you might think I'm exaggerating? <laughs> There's times when I'm standing here preaching God's word. There's times when I see fear on people's face. It's not always like, <gasps> No, fear. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Folks, it's not me. Do we understand? It's Satan that's playing with their mind. God said. Now, if I tell you something that's not what God said, then fine. You call me up on it. You don't have to listen to it. But I'm saying, Adam, where are you? God says. Many times God calls out to us through his word, through another believer, through a preacher. God speaks to us through his word. Where are you? Where is your life right now? What are you doing there? God, I heard your voice, but I was, I was afraid, and, and I was just trying to hide from you. I, I didn't want to face you. I didn't want to face what you were saying, God. I'm just trying to get away from it. With man's first sin in the garden. To the very end of time, when Jesus finally sits upon his throne, when he sits there in that great day of wrath, man in his fallen estate might be ashamed of a fearful God, even to the point of trying to hide from God. But may I say to you, that's not enough. Adam, where are you, God? Oh, God, I know. I've messed up. (laughs) I don't, I don't. really want to face this right now. If I'm re- God, please. I don't want to hear this. You're going to mess my life up. You're going to bring change that I don't want. Lord, please just just leave me where I'm at. Let me let me hide in the bushes here for a bit longer. What's verse eleven say? Adam said, "Lord, I was afraid. I was afraid of what. I was afraid of, of facing you." God says, and He said, "Who told?" the you adam who told you personally that thou you were naked adam who told you that you were naked hast thou eaten of the tree have you personally he didn't say has somebody adam who told you how do you know that you're naked Have you eaten from that tree, the tree that I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat of? Adam, I personally told you not to eat of that tree. Have you eaten from that tree, Adam? You? The one I told? You see, God gets personal with us. That's not easy sometimes. That's exactly what he was doing with with Adam here in the garden. He was asking for Adam himself to recognize, to confess that he was what he had done, that what he had brought about, the condition that he was in, that he was actually trying to hide from God what he had done. Just being afraid wasn't enough. (laughs) See, Adam had to personally recognize that he had become estranged from God because of his sin. Just being afraid of God wasn't enough. God is pinning him down personally. Adam has got to come to admit to himself and to God that he has sinned and that it's his sin that has caused him to try to hide from God. It's his sin that is separated. If we, what's that next word? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Unrighteousness. Too many people don't want to confess. It's just too hard. Man is always so reluctant to admit his own guilt, his own sinfulness. But may I say, we can never be right with God until we do. Verse 12 And the man said, The woman thou gavest me, (laughs) she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. God goes to Adam. First thing he says, it's that woman. She's the one that did it, God. She's the one that caused this. Look that. But he was really cheeky. The woman that thou gavest me, Lord. (laughs) You're the one that gave me that woman, and look what she's done. He was actually trying to put part of the blame back on God himself. God, in fact... You know, you might be kind of responsible for all this. <laughs> well, if you had not never given me that woman, then I wouldn't have gotten this trouble in the first place. Why did you do that? That just shows the depths of man's fall. His first sin, he fell from God. When he's faced with that sin, first thing he wants to do is point his finger and blame anybody else but himself. God. Why did you let this happen in my life? Why? You were responsible for this and then that caused this? Why? Adam isn't the only one that's involved in the sin. That's true. I'm blaming that woman. What's the next thing God does? And the Lord God said it to the woman. Okay, Adam says it's the woman. God goes, to the, Lord. the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou, you personally have done? And the woman said, That serpent beguiled me. <laughs> Man, it's the woman. You gave me that woman. Look what she did. Hey, it was the devil did it. The devil's the one that caused this. He's the one that beguiled me, deceived me, tricked me into doing what I did. God, I didn't know that I was doing something wrong against you. God says, what is it that you have done? She says, let me tell you what the serpent did. God says to us, what you have done. We still say, well, look what so-and-so's done. Let me tell you what so-and-so's done. Let me tell you how this person messed up. What she said was true. The devil had beguiled her. The Bible tells us that. The devil had deceived her. But that didn't mean that she was innocent in any way. Just like Adam. God is asking Eve this question because she must recognize her own sin. Folks, were talking about the acuteness, the severity, the extremity, the depth of man's fall from God because of sin. Satan entered. The woman was enticed. The man was in error. They were estranged with God. Put it another way. Man was created in the very pattern of God. He was living in a paradise of God's making. He was given his lifelong partner by God. He was walking in perfect, perfect harmony with his wife and with God. He was enjoying precious, perfect fellowship with God. But now, He's parted from God, all because of sin. You know, the best news, that was the fall in the garden. But God sent Jesus that you might be reconciled to him, that you might be in unity once again. And understanding the acuteness of man's fall and this estrangement between God and man that came about because of that fall, when we can grasp that, then we'll better understand our need for salvation, our need to be reconciled to God. If there's sin in our lives, we're not, where we need to be with God. We can't be. We're being deceived. We may not even realize it and understand it, but God is saying, where are you? Are you in perfect harmony with me? Christ came to reconcile the world unto himself because of the separation that had come. Man, in his alienation from God, had no way to ever be reconciled with his creator. But Jesus came. Your sin, your personal sin, nobody else's, your personal sin estranged you, separated you harmony with God. But Christ came so that you can be in harmony with God, so that you can be reconciled. And we looked at a lot of verses around that. I just ask you a simple question today. Where are you? Is God asking you a question today? Not because he doesn't know, because you you need to be honest with yourself. Yes, you need to be honest with God. You need to start by answering his question. Where are you? Are you hiding from the voice of God? Are you hiding from what God might say to you because it it might force some change that you're not comfortable with, that you think is not good, that you think is better? You've got something better figured out for your life than what God does. Is God trying to get your attention. Are you looking... For an excuse? Are you looking for somebody else to blame or something to blame? You see, that's the nature of man since Adam in the garden, since he became estranged from God because of sin. You're no different than all the other human beings out there. But just as God went calling For Adam in the garden, God's calling for you today because he loves you. You're here because he wants, he wants to be in such unity with you. He wants you to feel his arms around you. He wants you to know that he's right there every minute, every moment. He is there with you. You're in such a sweet relationship. That's what he wants for you. Maybe he's having to ask you some hard questions that are hard to answer. But quit trying to avoid them. Quit trying to point the finger. Quit trying to to rationalize them. Just as Adam and Eve, you've got to be willing to confess your own guilt, your own sin, and take responsibility of it. In response to God's voice, which we call God the Holy Spirit, seeking forgiveness from God the Father. (laughs) who's the only one that makes it possible. God, the son, you know, whatever it is you did, you know what he paid for it with his blood so that you don't have to be separated from God. You see, if you choose not to deal with it, if you choose to close your ears, if you choose not to act upon it, it's not because God hasn't done everything and pleaded with you. He wants that reconciliation, but you're saying, no, God, this is more important to me than being in the relationship that I ought to be in with you. Where are you? I want to give you a couple of thoughts quick in closing. We also saw in this chapter that this estrangement with God, but the enmity with Satan. We were separated with God. The Satan is the one is in it. Verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of your life this serpent was possessed of Satan himself. He was the one that was Satan. All of creation was affected by what happened that day. All of of creation was affected by the curse. Satan, the serpent, he got his own due. You see, he said, I will put, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. that shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan's seed being the unbelievers and Eve's seed being Christ and all of the believers. We looked at a lot of things there. God dealt with the physical servant in verse 14, but in verse 15, he's dealing with the spiritual Satan, the same enemy that you've got today. We need to grasp the, the beauty and the wonder of what God is saying in this passage, In the midst of this passage, dealing with the the curse, dealing with the result of man's sin, God gives a great message of hope. Yes, it is a message of doom for Satan, but it's a message of hope and victory for the seed of Christ. God is speaking about that struggle Between one on the one side, Satan, and his uh, seed of unbelievers, and on the other, Christ and his seed of, of believers, Satan could only bruise the heel of Christ. That caused them to suffer. Some of them have maybe given up their physical lives, but Christ would bruise the head. He would utterly destroy him with a final blow, is what it's saying. The first prophecy of Jesus Christ's coming, and in the same verse, destroying Satan that had brought about this separation from man and God. There is a spiritual battle that's raging for you, believer or unbeliever alike, for every one of you. Which side are you on today? You see, in the battle that God speaks of, Satan might be able to bring some harm. But when you're on Christ's side, guess what? On the third day... He arose. Oh, yeah. He was able to be put on the cross, but he was victorious. He lives forever. And in him, so were you. And I finished this, the encompassing of the curse. The remainder of chapter 3, it deals with the result of Adam's sin on everything else, literally encompassing all of creation. In verse 16, we saw that it encompassed the woman. In verse 17 and 19, we saw that it encompassed man and the earth that he lives upon. Verse 21, it encompassed all of animal life. Verse 22 to 24, it encompassed the environment when man was actually driven out of the garden. We go into the next chapter, verse 4. It encompassed even the children of the man and the woman as they were born. You see, the first child that was born to Adam and Eve (laughs) became a murderer. A murderer of his own brother—that was how much that the sin and the curse in the garden encompassed. It encompassed every generation to follow. In Genesis chapter six, the seed of sin was passed from one generation to the other, till it came to the point that God grieved that he ever created man, and he sent a worldwide flood to destroy. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oh yes, man got so sinful so far away that God had to destroy it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I wanna give you this verse in closing this morning. In Romans chapter five, notice what the Bible says, He says, first of all, in verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was... In other words, look at what sin did even before the law given. Now, man couldn't know that he had sinned without the law, but death was still there. Death still reigned. Sin brings death whether you know about it or not. That's the result of all sin. But praise God, verse 15 says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. I'm saying to you today, yes, it's a bad, bleak picture. A man was separated from God and man lost at first estate. It brought spiritual death. It brought physical death. Everybody dies. Everything dies. Just look around. You show me one thing on this earth that doesn't die eventually. Some live longer than others. We don't know. (laughs) But everything dies because of the curse. I've said to you before, we don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are already sinners. That's precisely what God is saying to us. Even before the law was given to man, death reigned because of the curse of sin. We were all right there in the loins of Adam. By that one man, sin came, became a part of us all. But thank God, we can find grace just as Noah did in the eyes of the Lord. We sang about that earlier. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You see, I don't do too well sometimes. (laughs) I'd planned on covering a whole lot more with you this morning. But I believe with all my heart, God spoke to me. I didn't know any one of you would be here today. But I knew I'd be here and that God had given me the message for today. Today, do you realize that God never speaks to you to hurt you? God never speaks to you to make you unhappy, to make your life worse, to make you miserable. God speaks because he loves you. Because of his grace, because in our natural state, we're going to die. We are dead. It's only through Jesus that we can have life today. If God's speaking to you, are you going to run and hide like Adam did in the garden? Man, when man fell, the depth, the depravity of man is beyond description. But God's grace is sufficient for you. Today, you can leave here estranged with God, estranged with others, but well, you can leave here in oneness with him. He wants that. That's what Jesus came for so you could be reconciled. Today, is God speaking to you, you personally. And if God is speaking to you, the only question is, are you going to ignore him or are you going to listen to him? We're going to sing... For our closing hymn, a great, great, great truth, there's room at the cross for you. It's a very personal song. There's room at the cross for you. And so as we go to, to sing that song now, I want to say to you individually, there is room at the cross for you. And today, if you need to come, you can ignore him. You can decide that something else is more important, or you can listen to him you can talk to him. If you want to come and talk to him this morning on your own, you can do that. If you want someone to pray with you and talk with you, we're here for you. Just listen to God. Be receptive to what he wants for you. If you need to come this morning, if there's something you need to talk to about God, maybe he's asking you, not because he doesn't know, but because you need to admit it and confess it today. Come, pray to him. Let us pray with you. Leave here, reconcile to him.